Well, good morning. Hey, welcome. I am uh, honored to get to be here today. My name is Jeffrey. I am one of the pastors on the team, and I'm, I'm getting to wrap up our blessed series that we've been in for the last, this is week number seven. Um, I'm excited about it, excited about where we're going to go this morning. I had a question to start off with. How many of you have heard of Mr. Beast? This is a participant. Look at, you know what? Some of you people need to delete TikTok, okay? Uh, I mean, that's, he's more YouTube anyway, whatever. Um, but Mr. Beast, if you don't know him, I'm not going to like unequivocally say you should follow him and do everything he says by any means. But he started a trend a few years ago that really set his career on this wild trajectory. Uh, he was 19 years old and he, he was doing a brand deal. So he had a, a company that wanted to pay him $5,000 to do a video for them. And he started this thing where he was going to say, you give me that, I'll double it and give it to someone else. And that double it and give it away thing is like a wildly popular thing on social media. And it's often taken in really bad ways. I, I was watching one this week and it was somebody that had a hamburger and they walked up to somebody and they were like, do you want the hamburger or do you want me to double it and give it away? Everyone was just going to double it and give it away because they're just trolling the guy buying the hamburgers. So at the end of this video, he has 64 hamburgers just trying to get anyone to take 64 hamburgers. So when it goes bad, it goes bad. But a lot of them are financial ones. And so he, Mr. Beast, Jimmy, his name is not Mr. Beast, and I felt really dumb saying that from here, but he was offered $5,000 from this brand, and he said, double it, and I'm gonna take it outside, and I'll give it to a homeless person. And they didn't believe him. And so they gave him $10,000, he walked outside, he gave it to a homeless person, and that set his career on this wild trajectory where he is right now the single individual most followed person in all of YouTube. He has 240 million subscribers. He has made $11 billion. More money than I can fathom, he has made. And he set that double it and give it away trend. And I, I, my favorite one of those that's ever been I was watching one and they started, it was at a Walmart and they started outside and they asked somebody, hey, do you want, there's a dollar. Do you want me to double it or, or do you want this or do you want me to double it and give it to the next person? And they were like, double it. So then it's $2. And they went, they're like, hey, do you want this $2? You want me to double it and give it to the next person? And then they doubled it and they doubled it and it just kept going on. And finally they catch this woman in an aisle at Walmart and they said, here's $5,000. Do you want this or do you want to double it and give it to somebody? Five grand, okay. The $2, I'm all right, pass that on. $4, 64, you know, we can keep going. You come up to me and you say, here's $5,000. I'm gonna struggle with that. You know how much hunting stuff I can buy for $5,000? You know how many bags of Skittles? That's like a, that's a year's supply of Skittles at least. The, the people that laughed know how much Skittles cost and that how much I eat them. Um, she goes, let's double it, but I get to pick who we give it to. And so they went to the newborn, the, the newborn area of Walmart and she walked up to a single mom and she said, here's $10,000. And this woman just weeps. You watch those videos and it's impossible for them to not like move your heart. They're, they're so sweet and they're so, when they go well, they're so beautiful about the generosity and the radical generosity that people can have. And, we, and as I tell that story, I think there are a lot of us that we can picture these double it and pass it on people. For me, somebody that I watched do that for a long time was a guy named Ray Templeton. I love Ray Templeton. Here's how much I love Ray. Okay, I grew up in Lubbock, Texas. Ray is as Aggie as Aggie could be. He had maroon everything, maroon truck, maroon motorcycle. He owned maroon clothes and that was it. It was overalls and maroon clothes and that was Ray. 
And I loved Ray. He passed away a few years ago, but he was one of those guys that he would always just, no matter what, if somebody would come up to him and say, do you want this money? You want me to double it and give it to the next person? He would double it every time. And his, his fingerprints, he is an OG Beltway person. He is, was an elder when we were in the chapel. And he was one of the elders that actually talked to David when David was coming here from Lubbock and brought David here. And I, 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 like, there's so much that David got to share last week. There are amazing numbers. If you missed last week, you should definitely listen to it. But one of the ones that he talked about is the amount of money that we give to missions and outreach. And it's in the multiple millions of dollars. And while Ray may not have voted on that in 2023, it has Ray's fingerprints all over it because his DNA is all over our church. That is just Ray. But he also did it personally. Christmas of 2006, Sarah and I had been married six months. We got married in June and we'd been married six months. We were 21 and 20, which 21 and 20 year olds, not necessarily saying that's the best road. It worked for us. It was also really difficult. We were poor. I was... uh, front end manager at United, and I was a free intern at Beltway. Sarah worked at our after school program, and uh, we, we loved it. Life was amazing, but the finances were not. And it's Christmas, and it's the Christmas we just got married. So I really, as a first year husband, choosing to not buy your wife a gift the first year you're married probably would not go over well. But then we also had our parents just spend all this money on our wedding and we wanted to get them something. We had five siblings between the two of us. And so we wanted to buy them something, but then we were looking at our bank account going, there's no way we can buy anyone anything. We can barely buy groceries and then put gas in the car. And that's just where we were at in our finances at that time. I was at United one day and I got a phone call. Jeffrey, yes, this is Ray Templeton. And now here's my first, I promise this is my first thought. How dumb of an employee do you have to be to get fired as a free intern? Because <laughs> Ray's an elder, and I'm like, ah, man, I must be the worst. He said, where are you at right now? I said, I'm at United. I'm on my way. So he walks in, probably wearing overalls. That's what Ray wore. And he handed me a card, and he had this twinkle in his eye. He said, hey, this is for you and Sarah. Walked, he walked away. And I opened it up and it was a check from Ray and Galen Templeton for $1,000. At that point in time, my bank account had never seen four digits. That was a bunch of money. That was wild money for Sarah and I. And it, that generosity was just Ray. Ray would always just live that way. He would have been the double it and pass it on guy. You know who struggles with that more? This guy. I'm the type of person that at the drive through line, whenever they roll down the window, or roll down the window, what year is this? <laughs> that was, they open the window, they press the button, whatever, they don't roll them down, but they open the window and they're like, hey, for the last 17 hours, every single person has paid for the person behind them food. Do you want to do that? And I'm like, no. <laughs> I came to Sonic at happy hour so that I paid half for my large Diet Coke with easy ice. I do not want to pay for the 14 kids in the minibus behind me. It's not fair. This is not an equal exchange. That is kind of the way I've been for a lot of my life. Now, I remember the very first time I, I started figuring out about tithing. I'd heard about tithe. My parents were, I mean, I grew up in the church. And so I'd heard about tithing. Tithing was awesome when it was my parents' money. They should definitely do it. And, and more even. But I was 14 
and I got my first job. I was roofing houses in Lubbock, Texas, and, um, and I got my first check, and I was like, this is my money. I had three younger siblings at that time, and I was like, forget those jokers. They don't get to touch this. My parents, they can't tell me what I can do. This is my money. My parents set me down. They were like, all right, let's talk about tithing your money. And I was like, no, Jesus didn't work for this money. I did. <laughs> Plus, I'm roofing houses in Lubbock, Texas in the middle of the summer. It is basically hell. He said, he got me out of hell, okay? I'm good with him. I don't want, he, this is my money. That Sunday, I'm sitting in the pew, Trinity Church in Lubbock, Texas. They pass the offering bags. I grabbed that 10% of that check. I threw it in the bag. I did what I was supposed to do. I was not happy about it. Actually, if I was anything, I was really frustrated that that was an expectation. Learning generosity has been a really big deal. It's been a growing process in my faith journey, but it is a thing that we all have to learn if we want to realize the words of Jesus in Acts 20 that we've been talking about for the last seven weeks. In all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. This idea of more blessing as we give than we receive has been what we've talked about for six weeks. It still is really radical. It still doesn't make logical sense. We spent the first two weeks talking about groups and friendships and the importance of those things and how if we'll pour ourselves out into those areas, then what we receive is so much greater. And we talked about serving and serving in the kingdom and in the body of Christ. And if we'll pour ourselves out in, in, in the body of Christ, then what we receive is so much greater. And in the last two weeks, we've talked about money. And I think often we're like, you know what? I can understand how in, in groups and in friendships, if I'll pour out, then I'm going to be blessed. We get that. We get it when, it when it's like our serving. And if we serve in the body that we could be blessed, I, I understand that. But money? No, no, no. Let's talk about that a little bit. And here we are, another church service, talking about money. And it's like, this is, I struggle to believe I'm more blessed if I give of my money. Because it's my money. I worked for it. I did this. And, and I need it. I got bills to pay. These kids seem to think they need to eat every single day. There are things I want to do with my life, like... It's, it's my money. How can I be more blessed if I give my money away than if I keep it for myself? And hopefully you've been here over the last two weeks and you've heard Pastor David really masterfully talk about generosity and tithe. If you have not, go to YouTube and watch them. Go to our website and watch them. Go to the app. Find an opportunity to watch those sermons. They are powerful. This is not going to be a sermon on tithing. But did you know this idea of being more blessed with our money doesn't stop at the act of giving our money. This living a life of abundant blessing from the Lord doesn't stop at the act of generosity. It's so easy for us to miss out on the full blessing that God wants for us, the abundant blessing that he wants for you. It's really easy for us to miss out on it if we stop at the act of giving. That's a part of it, but it's not all of it. And we miss out on it often because of the position of our hearts. And I'll tell you this, I can't, I don't know what the full blessing will look like. I bet it's joy that is unimaginable. 
I bet it's a hope and a trust in the faithfulness of God. I fully believe that it is connected to our finances that we will reap more than we've sown. I mean, I believe those things, but I can't tell you exactly what more blessing will look like in your life. But I do know this, God's abundant blessing as we live generous lives is tied to our hearts. And if our hearts stay in the place that mine was that Sunday morning in Lubbock, Texas as a 14-year-old, we're just begrudgingly doing the things that we're expected to do and we ignore the heart posture of what's supposed to be going on as we live out generous lives, we will miss out on God's blessing. If he says we can be more blessed, I unashamedly want more blessing. But it's tied to our hearts. And we see that in a story in the New Testament. So if you will, if you'll grab a Bible, we're gonna be in the book of Mark. If you're at one of our physical campuses, there is a Bible around you. Or you can open up your Bible. I heard that this week. Phone Bible. That was a new one for me. If you're at our online campus, we love that you're there right there on the screen. You can click on the Bible icon. We're going to be in Mark chapter 12. Now, this story is also told over in uh, Luke chapter 21. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic gospels. They're three men's stories of, three men's tellings of similar stories in the life of Jesus. We are going to look at Mark's view of this interaction between Jesus and his disciples. This is in verse 41. And he sat down opposite the treasure and he watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Here you have Jesus doing the ultimate people watching. He's watching what people are doing with their money and their offerings. And Mark says that there are many rich people putting in large sums of money. So you can imagine Jesus sitting there watching this guy walk up with his Birkenstock ones, like the real ones, grabs a stack of cash and puts it in there. Then up walks a, a lady and she looks like she's just gone to the spa. She's carrying whatever the Jesus version of the Stanley Cup is. And she gets her money and she puts it in there. And then she gives money to her kids. She's like, you can put some in there. And he just watches as many rich people put in large sums of money. And then up walks a widow, a poor widow. Her clothes are going to look tattered. She's going to probably have had to patch them. If she's wearing shoes, they're not in the best shape. She probably looks ragged because she's been having to take care of herself in a time where that was not the most commonplace. And she walks up. She puts in two of these. This is a mite. This is the smallest amount of money, smallest denomination of money, in Jesus' time. Nothing smaller. She pulls out two of these and she drops them in the offering. And Jesus grabs his disciples and you know, they're talking, they're like, we just watched all these rich people just come in and they were putting in all these, all these large sums of money and then this poor little widow putting in her little amount of money. Those, they're just not the same. And Jesus actually agreed. <laughs> He's like, they're not the same. She gave more. And you know, one of the disciples is like, Jesus, bro, I know you're a carpenter, didn't require a ton of math, but she didn't. Did you see that guy? Did you see the amount of money he put in there? That, that's more than that lady's ever seen. Did you see the person after him? They gave even more. No, they, she did not give more money than every one of those people. 
And he says, but she did. Because they gave out of their abundance. And she gave everything she had. She gave more because of how she gave, not what she gave. She gave everything. And what Jesus was trying to get the disciples to understand and wrap their heads around is it was not about how the money impacted the bottom line. It wasn't about comparing what one of them gave to what another one gave. That that really wasn't the heart. And if we get in the place that that's what we do, trust me, we are always going to be left wanting. We can always point to somebody else and go, well, they're going to be able to give more than me. And when we do that, our brains automatically go, well, they can, give more, they can give more than me. Therefore, they're going to have a bigger impact in the kingdom. Therefore, their money is going to get to go do all this stuff out in the world. And I'm just barely given anything. My little measly 10% doesn't compare to that person's. What Jesus is imploring us in this moment is it's not about that. Generosity isn't solely about the amount of money that we give. It's more tied to our heart behind it. And we, we don't know what the heart of the rich people is. It doesn't say. Some of them probably went up with great hearts. They gave just really wanting to give and be generous. But some of them probably walked up and they wanted to be seen. They wanted people to know they were the one that gave that big gift. Some of them probably did it like me, just reluctantly take my 10%. We do know the heart of the widow was to give Everything. And Jesus said, that's, that's what it's all about. She gave more than them, not, not in financial significance, but because of the status of her heart and how she was feeling in the moment and how she gave deep from within her. And here's the deal. We all have some level of financial resource that we are responsible for. And over the last two weeks, David's talked about what does it look like to steward well and to give the tithe and all those things. But it is not solely the act of generosity that we need to focus on. The position of our hearts as we do what we're called to do, it matters. God's abundant blessing as we live generous lives is tied to our hearts. Our hearts matter in our actions. If we, set, if we disassociate our hearts from what we do, what we often are left with is things that aren't connected at all when they're supposed to be connected. Our heart is supposed to follow our actions. Our actions are supposed to be connected to our hearts. They're supposed to meld together. And this week I saw a video that I think describes that pretty well. with you today. It's just a joke. I was about to ask for some garlic bread, but I'm scared too. It's just a joke. You couldn't hear the end. He said, I was about to ask for some garlic bread, but I was kind of scared too. Listen, it was her responsibility to provide dinner that night. Now, everyone listen to me. Both campuses online. I am not saying it is the woman's responsibility to cook in the home. If you thought I said that, 
The email is jakemills at beltway.org, okay? Not me. <laughs> I cook in our house. I cook almost every meal in our house. Now, it began selfishly because I didn't want to do the dishes. And in the Turner house, whoever cooks does, doesn't do dishes, and I hate dishes so much. Now, I like to cook. But in this video, the dynamic was obviously, it was her responsibility to cook the meal. She did it baby in hand. She was the one that was going to provide that meal, put it on the table, all that. Now, did she do that? Yeah. She gave him dinner. She didn't. Now, if I'm that guy, not a chance am I eating that dinner because she definitely poisoned it. <laughs> but... Yeah, she did what she was expected to do. There was obviously an agreement that she was gonna cook. She did it. She did what she was responsible for. Now, had her heart been different, that would have been received infinitely different. If her heart had been the way that it should have been, then that dynamic would have been this fun little interaction with the family. She could sit down, honey, tell me about your day. How are things? How's work? They're gonna get to dialogue about this stuff. But because of the status of her heart, while she was fulfilling the actions she was supposed to fulfill, she didn't receive any of the kind of praise that she should have received. And that dynamic was all different. Our hearts matter in our actions. Our hearts, as it pertains to generosity, it matters. And if we're not careful, when we hear sermons and talks on giving and on tithe and generosity, we can get to the place that it's like, God, just here, just take it, okay? There. Take my money, it's fine. There's my 10%. You want more? You're telling me I've got to give in, in more than the time? I've got to live a generous life? You're, you're telling me that that nonprofit that I heard about, I actually should do something? Fine, here, here's a little more, okay? There. You're telling me more blessed to give than receive you. Well, more, fine, God, here, just take what, take it. Just take, are we good now? Have I done what you expected me to do? Is this, is our agreement fulfilled? If we're not careful, that can be how we begin to view the act of generosity. Fine, just, okay. Now here's the crazy thing. The crazy thing about our God is I actually believe if you give with that mentality, you're still going to be blessed. Second Corinthians says this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. When I read Second Corinthians, it's impossible to come up with anything other than the law of sowing and reaping is undefeated. It says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. But it says, whoever sows will reap. Will. Not maybe, not possibly. Whoever sows will reap. The law of sowing and reaping is undefeated. And we see that in our world. And our world even talks about this law. That comes out of 2 Corinthians. They just don't call it the law of sowing and reaping. They call it karma. You put good things out in the world, you expect to receive good things back. You see somebody speeding and you go, get them, cop, please. And then you know how good you feel when you turn that corner and they're parked beside the road getting a ticket? It feels amazing. They sowed bad things into the world and they get to reap it. We believe that if you put good things in your body, then your body will be healthier. That if you want to get stronger and you go to the gym, that you're going to reap a stronger body. I mean, we believe the law of sowing and reaping. But how we reap 
And the totality of what we reap is not just tied to the action, but to the heart behind it. How we reap and what we reap is tied not just to the action of sowing, but to our hearts. See, 2 Corinthians goes on. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Verse 6 says, whoever sows will reap. But then verse 7 says, it's not just about that. You've got to do it without being reluctant or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Can we get super corny for a second? God loves a cheerful giver, not a bitter giver. And I know that's incredibly corny. That is what 2 Corinthians 9 just said. He loves a cheerful giver. How we walk out generosity, it matters. Our cheer and joy in the midst of it affects things. It affects the reward and the blessing in the end. Parents, we get this. Okay, if you have kids that are of age to clean their rooms, you have had this interaction. You've walked into their room and you've gone, how is this one room the only place that got robbed in the whole house? <laughs> Everything else, fine. Dogs didn't even bark, but this place looks like a disaster. So you tell your kids, hey, it's time to clean the room. And unless your kids are unicorns and they just do what you tell them to do all the time the first time, which if that's the case, don't tell anybody that. It makes the rest of us feel bad. You tell them, hey, this room is a disaster. You need to clean it. Oh, but mom, I'm so tired. I have a headache. Even though they were just outside playing four seconds before that, now all of a sudden we got a headache. I got so much homework. I got so much stuff to do. I don't want to do it. And then finally it's like, just clean your room. Maybe y'all don't yell. Turner's yell. I know that's shocking. So then they shut the door. They don't slam it because I'll take that door which is a threat every parent has made and no parent has ever done. They shut the door, they turn on Taylor Swift, but it's not the like cheerful, happy Taylor Swift, it's the right after the breakup Taylor Swift where she's raging, which I know is like 99% of the albums, but okay. 30 minutes later, you go in there and the room's clean. They did it. It was done. Action accomplished, check. Now, every once in a while, in the most perfect of days, you walk into there, the room's a disaster, and you're like, hey, you gotta clean your room. And they're like, Father, I would love to do anything that would please you. <laughs> and they clean the room. And it's great. Which one of those things do you think me as a parent is gonna reward? One of them, I'm still mad at them, even though the room is clean, we had to argue about it. The other one, because of the status of the heart, I'm definitely gonna reward at a different level. Listen, if we walk in bitter generosity, we will reap blessing. But we will be settling for less than God's full blessing that he offers to the cheerful giver. God's abundant blessing as we live generous lives is tied to our hearts. And often people, pastors and churches have used 2 Corinthians 9. They've used it as a way to manipulate people to give. Listen, if you, you, you need to be a cheerful giver. God needs your money. Listen, he's doing all right. He's doing pretty good. This is what Psalm says. For every beast of the forest is mine, everyone. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world and its fullness are mine. Listen, he's doing all right. God does not love a cheerful giver because he needs you to give. God loves a cheerful giver, not because of his needs, but because I have a need. 
I have to learn what it might look like to sow. I have to learn what it might look like to be generous. I have to learn what it might look like to allow my money to further the kingdom. I have to learn what it might look like to be a cheerful giver. I have a need, not him. He's doing pretty good, but he's giving us an opportunity to walk in Acts 20. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And if we're going to catch hold of this with our finances, if we're going to be more blessed, it's going to be because 2 Corinthians 9 clicks in our brain. And we're not going to continue with this reluctant obligation to giving, this reluctant obligation to being generous because God said it, so I got to do it. But if we catch hold of the cheerful giver is the one that's going to be blessed. The cheerful giver is the one that's going to fully see the more blessed to give than to receive. There is immense joy and overwhelming trust we get to walk in whenever we give our mites as cheerful givers. That first time you give that 10% and you go, God, 90% is less than 100. That math does not math. But I'm gonna give it anyway. And I'm gonna trust that you're gonna show up. And then he shows up and he shows that he is provider. You know what that does for your trust in him? It doesn't just make you trust him more in your finances. When he says he's healer and you've trusted him with your finances and he's done it, then when you believe in him for healing, your faith is increased because you trust him more. It has this waterfall effect in your faith journey. All of a sudden we begin to trust in levels that we haven't when we go, God, I need you to show up and show off. And he does. And when we give our 10% and we live off 90 and then we find more blessing, all of a sudden our faith and trust that he is who he said he is and he'll do what he said he's gonna do is increased. And there's also joy in being generous. That's, that's what Ray got. He had a twinkle in his eye every single time he had the opportunity to give. And it was infectious. You wanted to give more because Ray wanted to give more. That Christmas of 2006, I will never forget him walking into the store and handing me that card. I can picture it like it was yesterday. I can tell you where I was standing at the South 14th United. And I have Ray's look on his face of joy, getting to just be generous. He got it. He understood that God's abundant blessing as we live generous lives was tied to our hearts. And I want the abundant blessing, but I want a heart of a, of a giver that is cheerful. I want that to be how I live my life. And I've grown a lot in the years since I was 14 in more ways than one. And this is an area that still I'm always growing in. And there are times that I can get into the place that I can feel myself still giving but reluctant. All right, God, you wanted me to do it, I'll do it. And as soon as that begins to happen, I recognize there's something in my heart that needs a checkup. So what I wanted to end this time with today, I left us some space to just do a heart checkup. So most of you already put your stuff away. You just bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm gonna give us a moment to be able to respond to the Lord. Heart checkups are good. We go to them when we go to the doctors to do heart checkups for our physical heart, whether they're healthy or we know there's something wrong, we still go get the heart checked. And so today, wherever you're at in this journey, I encourage you to just begin to ask some questions of the Lord. Ask him first, where is your heart? 
as it pertains to money and generosity, and we've talked about over the last three weeks, where is your heart towards money? Have you put your faith and hope and trust in finances that you are able to provide? That has been a mistake I have made over the years. If that's you, I encourage you just to lay it at his feet and go, God, I want to trust you with this, not me. Maybe you're in the place that you're, you're giving, but you wouldn't say it's cheerful. Our God moves in our hearts. Just ask him to move. God, I want to switch. I want to be a cheerful giver. Maybe you've never taken that step in boldness and finances. And you've heard now for three weeks that that is something that God wants to bless you in but also calls you to action. If that's you, ask the Lord for boldness to do what might not make sense in the bottom line but what makes sense in his kingdom. God, we thank you. I thank you for these last few weeks. God, I thank you that, that you love us so much that you want us to find blessing. But not just blessing, your blessing, abundant blessing. God, in whatever step you're calling us to, we ask for boldness. Were there areas of our heart that are sick? Would you heal? God, would you move? We thank you for who you are. In your name we pray, amen.